we're going to talk about one of the biggest things to happen in movies in a long time, which is kind of amazing to say solely because you could probably not have predicted this. If you were to look at like the past couple of like biggest weekend openings, the things that have changed the way we do these big scope blockbusters of the summer, who would have thought that the fourth highest grossing weekend of all time for a new release would be in the form of a Barbie movie and an Oppenheimer movie. That's great. The power of meme culture can sometimes be for the positive. Sometimes we convince Sony to release Morbius again, and it's hilarious. Other times, the collective joke of a big bomb and a bunch of pink just changes the way we look at movies forever. And it's great. It's Barbenheimer. I'm doing them together solely because it's fun. It's fun. These are two great movies. They came out the same day. The discourse has been going on for a year about that. They are amazing. Here's the. This is the most amazing part of the experience of both of these movies coming out at once. They're both incredible. These are both insanely powerful, genius stories that have so many interesting things to talk about and talk about so many creative ideas and explore the dark sides of humanity in very compelling ways, but also very different ways. Insane. And they're both great. Both times in the movie, when, I was, when I'm watching both of these films, and I did a double feature because I have to because these are amazing, I'm sitting in the audience and I'm just reminded, this is what movies are about. Both times I went to the movie, a packed house, people dressing up for both movies. It's incredible that this is happening for two things that well, aren't original IP, are not sequels or legacy sequels or reboots or anything. Fresh original stories of directors that people like. That gets butts in seats. Sometimes the online discourse does reflect the box office and it shows you that some good stuff can happen. It's Barbenheimer. You have Barbie, a huge movie, and you have Oppenheimer, an even bigger movie. Insane that both of these are good and fantastic. And we're going to talk about both of them. We're going to start with the order I did this in because I, I wanted to just go in on the high note. Barbie. It's Barbie. Greta Gerwig fantastic director she has never had a budget this big before which makes sense you know you got to start somewhere she did a little women adaptation which was really well done lady bird which was really well done then she co-directed another movie which was like her first kind of debut as a director that gets her barbie at warner brothers and this is a script and a production that's kind of been like halted and, and stilted throughout like entire conception there was a bunch of different attempts to do a barbie movie I can completely understand how it would be hard to find a pitch to, to make this movie because where do you go with it? How do you do it authentically? Is it like the Lego movie? Is it just like taking the IP and doing something with the character? It's very bizarre. What we get is a phenomenal piece of filmmaking, a genius production. This is... I mean, I don't want to just like say the best movie of the year, but it's the best script of the year. It's the best set production of the year, the best costuming of the year. It's phenomenal how every single piece of this film just knew exactly what it was doing to make it both comedic, effortless, and fun for everybody in the audience. We'll get to that in a minute here. It's incredible how this looks. I hearken it back to a movie actually doing like an old MGM musical where we have like big 
sets, big sweeping pieces. We have like these things that are actually built. We have like treadmill tracks that are like moving a car along it. Like it looks like an old school musical in the aesthetic while the story is solely, solely of the 2020s. Like it's incredible and it's genius and it doesn't hate men. But I just want to get this discourse out of the way just because, you know, I am a cis white man of a certain age bracket I know when a movie's aimed for me or not. And, and something I've said this before talking about other movies, you don't have to make it for me. All of the history of films have been made for me. I don't need these big blockbusters to be about me anymore. What I love is that this movie talks about the role of men in terms of like the use of Barbie and the use of the patriarchy, but it does it in a way that isn't like talking down to the audience it does it in like a way it's like this is how you would conceive these things it's not an anti-men movie a huge plot of this movie is actually like the lead female character realizing she treated her the male character badly and accepting that maybe what he expected wasn't what she wanted from that and what she wanted from his what she wanted from him wasn't what he expected and there's nuance and depth to that that is definitely not saying men are bad and it's not woke okay it's not a woke movie the thing that's the most woke about it is just like, it looks good, I guess. You know, like we have actors of different ethnicities and cultures and backgrounds and sexual orientation. Is that woke or is that just like what Barbies are? I don't know. I, I mean, I probably know more about Barbie than the average Joe you'd pick off the street. But I, I, I'm not going to sit here and, you know, wax poetic about the history of Mattel's greatest creation. I can't. All I know is I know that reference. I know that outfit. That's not woke. That's just a Barbie doll. And the references are phenomenal. Specific outfits, specific vehicles, specific types of dolls. It's fun and it's creative. And the world is just whimsical and, and just well made. You know, like the story just lends itself perfectly. And it does that by not over explaining itself. It's like, yeah, you can get to Barbie land because it's like a place, but not like a real place. And they explain like, yes, it's a, like a thing that you can think of and go there. It's like, don't worry about it. So I'm not going to worry about it. If the movie's not worried about it, why should I worry about it? So I'm not going to worry about it. And then you just get like this story of this Barbie doll played by Margot Robbie. And I, I just kind of briefly want to touch on something with Margot Robbie. There have been reports and people saying that she's not a movie star. What I would argue is she's the only one we have under the age of 40. I think she has proven that she is a talent of this generation. She makes these really interesting projects and produces some incredible stuff. And nobody's really on her level. It's hard for me to say this is her best performance because I love Babylon to no end. And that was just like a gut punch of a character and a development. But this is not something a bunch of people could do authentically. What she has to do here is portray somebody who has never experienced emotion before and never felt these feelings. And then when you do, you don't know how to respond to those feelings. And it takes you on a wild ride. She also has impeccable comedic timing. She has really good heartful moments. Nobody can shed a tear like her, like you buy every single part of that. It's insane what she's doing here. And it's not easy. It looks like it could be standard, but it's not. The stuff that is asked of her, that she is committed to, that's not easy to do. It's an award-worthy performance, in my opinion. Almost overshadowed by Ryan Gosling and what he's doing, which was kind of like the talk of the talk everyone was like talking about when it came to this movie. Is like, he's insanely good in this. And yeah, this is the type of performance that is impossible to nail. If you had 
a male actor with just even a little bit more narcissism to them, this falls apart completely. And you can kind of see that in some of the other Kens who maybe aren't as like onto the level of Gosling with what they're doing. But what he does is perfectly com- like portray a guy who went his whole life wanting to love this woman. Now, she has pretty much just said no, and he's like, I understand, I'll, I'll still be here. And then he goes to the real world of Barbie. He learns about the patriarchy and thinks like that's how you get respect, which is such like an interesting concept. And he brings that back and suddenly he starts to realize like all I ever wanted was this thing in like this weird, subtle romance that could be the story. And that's really cool. And that just leads into this entire concept of like who you are as a person and what you are supposed to be. Like if you are a Barbie doll, you're supposed to be like one interpretation of a Barbie doll. But when you look at like the landscape of what a Barbie doll is, it's different for every single person. And that's a part of the thing. It also plays into this idea of like, what is an idea versus what is a person? Like humans always die, but an idea lasts forever. So Barbie can't like aesthetically change or like psychologically change. She has to be like this one thing, but the concept itself can evolve and manipulate itself. And you're like, wow, that's what we're doing for the Barbie movie. We're having like that in-depth discussion about like what has changed over time. We take individual moments to be like, hey, you started off as like to help little girls realize they can achieve their dreams, but that has been corrupted over decades to become you're harmful in like a vision of what a woman should be from a male gaze and you actually can't be that. And then it slowly comes back around to being like, no, you have to understand like this is supposed to help and it does help. And it's about what you want to be and not who you are and who you are is who you want to be. It's just an insanely personal, intimate script that doesn't have to be. It's both intimate for the character of Barbie and for Ken and for any little girl watching this or for anybody watching this who's just like, what am I supposed to be? She is the stereotypical Barbie. Like that is her title in this. And with that, you have to realize like, yeah, you don't really get to feel or believe anything. What does that mean for who you are and who you become? It's a fun romp throughout the entire time. There's big chase sequences, beautiful sets. There's some great music stings. And when we're just like in Barbie land and it's just like, hey, here's the dream playhouses. It's hilarious and fun. And the aesthetic of like not actually drinking anything, not actually showering with water. Like nobody actually uses stairs. They just jump down from the balcony. It's hilarious. And then like the last 20 minutes just turn into this like idea of like what is a concept and how do you become human? And there's this like idea of like, Barbie becoming every little girl who grew up playing with Barbies and then then that woman becomes a mother and then you realize that your mother was actually like a human and a little girl and her mother was too and it becomes like this thing about like loving your mother and understanding like everybody's human and they have their faults and it's okay not to be perfect and it's like slow down please can we just take a beat but you don't and it works well like it becomes this beautiful story of just accepting who you are and you don't have to be everything you can just be one thing and sometimes that's enough just being regular or ordinary and that that's insane and yes patriarchy does play a story in it but it's to comedic effect and it's never like down talking men it never does i do want to mention just like america ferrera just crushes it i haven't heard a lot of people talking about her performance in this movie because there's so many other like big loud performances but she is given four minutes to like go off queen about like what it means to be a woman today's society and how when it's related to barbies it's harmful and hurtful and it just like helps them understand themselves and i'm like yeah that that's great and she's having so much fun everybody's having fun when every 
single actor shows up in here, you just get the sense this was like a production that went smoothly and everybody had fun and supported each other and valued each other's ideas, which is such like a cool thing to experience for a movie of this scale and of this scope. I cannot believe it. Like, I cannot believe I'm walking away from this movie as a toy fanatic being like, that's a cool toy thing. But as a film fanatic being like, wow, that's a really good use of lighting and camera movement here and the costuming is immaculate and this script is leaving me broken and afraid and there's a montage at the end about like being a mother and having a daughter and you're just like okay that's crazy and then Rhea Perlman shows up and you're like what is happening right now and she's like it's okay I I mean oh let's talk about this like a two scene performance that steals every second when Rhea Perlman shows up I'm just like I know exactly what we're doing here and it's effective and it's uh, just like making me lose my mind at how good this is and the best part about this too is just the camaraderie that the audience is having watching this people are excited and enjoying it and dressing up and you, you see that scaringly i haven't seen a bunch this year mainly for spider-verse was like the big one but that was the feeling you got going to a big comic book or superhero flick to have that be the case for barbie where female audience members can kind of like rejoice in that nature is very cool and there I, I have nothing bad to say about this movie the acting phenomenal the jokes land the sets are so good i love the idea we just built a big toy car i love the idea we have fake waves i love all the cameos i think this is the perfect type of movie that we needed for today's climate it is saying something it is telling the audience it's okay to be yourself because that is what you need to be you don't need to be in love to be perfect you don't need to be perfect to be perfect it's really smart and cool we don't do it like this and i i fear mattel because they want to do like their big movie productions now are going to take the wrong lessons from this but this almost feels like a lightning in the bottle movie where it's like, yes, we were able to take down Mattel in some capacity. We were able to talk about the patriarchy in some capacity to talk about what it means to be like a Barbie doll in today's climate, how it warps the mind of young women, how it doesn't. It's like it's rare that this is going to happen again. And I, I do think the perfect cohesion of Greta Gerwig and Noah Baumbach's script does apply to that because you get the sense of like every perspective is morphed into one. And that's what this does. It is solely a story about Margot Robbie, but every other character gets their arc and their moment and to feel that thing that they needed to feel. And yeah, Gosling shines bright, but do not undersell what America Ferreira and Margot Robbie are doing. It's insanely powerful and good. And it makes me smile. And I will be damned if there is a movie this year that makes me feel as emotional and vulnerable and surprised and excited as this one did. It was great on every conceivable level. So, Barbie, I'm going to give a 10 out of 10. Now let's get serious for a minute, folks, because we are jumping over to Universal Studios, or some of you might just be walking out of the cinema and you just head back to the next plex right next to you. You're going from Cinema 2 to Cinema 5 to check out Oppenheimer. This is... Christopher Nolan, a director I've talked about a bunch on this channel, surprisingly. I've said it before and I'll say it again. He's not my guy. He's not somebody I've really connected with in his movies. I appreciate his work and I know his cinematic flair well. It's phenomenal what he does. I just have such a disconnect to what he's doing here. 
And I think a lot of that was from like Tenet. And I was just like, I don't like this movie. And there was just such like a weird release with that because Warner Brothers botched that release. He went over to Universal and Universal is trying to be like the director friendly place now. They, I think they have like exclusive deals with Shyamalan. I know they have Shyamalan. I think they were talking to Jordan Peele about it too. And I think they had like another big director they were looking at. I can't remember. Nolan's like one of those last big guys. It's so weird to think like we have the next generation coming up to do that like Peele. And it's hardly like the next generation, but Peele's another guy that gets butts and seats at cinemas. But Nolan's like the last of those big guys who didn't have to go to streaming to make his movie. And it still gets butts and seats in the theater. And he is doing a three-hour epic about J. Robert Oppenheimer. You know, that famous guy, the father of the atomic bomb, as we like to call it. And how does a movie that's three hours is R-rated and about World War II, how does that get $80 million in its opening weekend domestic? I, It's amazing. Like, how does that happen? It's because you have a great director at the height of his career he this feels like a movie where nolan's trying to prove to warner brothers that they fucked up by leaving him and that they messed up by just like you guys you should have done what i said because i know what i'm doing it's it's easy for me to say this is my favorite nolan movie because i have such a disconnect to the rest of them but this is my favorite nolan i ever is hard to say i love a lot of his earlier stuff but this is just a man operating on every level and the part about it that just excites me and surprises me is how, like, unflashy it is. He's like, yeah, I can use a medium shot here. Yeah, I can just cut away from the character to character to character. I don't need any, like, fancy camera work or cinematography. You're aware of this. Not that that isn't in there, because it is. But this is a guy that's like, I'm confident with what I can do. And I know what that is. If I just have, like, a waist-up shot of Killian Murphy just walking for a minute, you feel the impact of everything going on. And you do. Like... This has such a really interesting format for the movie. It's it's going through a bunch of different time periods, telling like the story, pretty much from Oppenheimer learning he can study quantum physics to when America accepts him again. And it's like, whoa, there's a lot to explore in there. And I, I could see how some people might find parts of the movie nonsensical or like, why are we focusing on this too much? What this movie does more than anything is really give you a focus on the man. Like, this is about the man. And I think, like, the largest criticism from some people has been, like, it doesn't focus on Hiroshima or Nagasaki. Like, it does, though, because we're seeing this. There are, like, countless scenes in this movie where this guy is traumatized and broken by the things that he participated in. That's what we're dealing with here. We're focusing on the man losing himself, like seeing that this is what he has to do. He doesn't agree with like all the politics of the world or any of that, but he knows this is something that's going to happen no matter what. And if he can contain it and manipulate the events to lead it to that, no matter how radical or drastic they may be, he can kind of control the narrative in that sense. And then it just spirals out of control. It's the perfect break where we start off the movie, it's like, yeah, here's this guy who's super excited about working on this stuff, to suddenly we get to the climactic moment. And it's one of the, if not the best looking shot of the year, where we just see like the first like Trinity Bomb project and we just like have it fade to white. And as he just experiences all this crazy stuff that happens, that is beautiful and powerful and tense and it's anxiety inducing and you're just on the edge of your seat like, wow. 
I'm blown away by this dialogue heavy movie just making me feel so much and have so much impact on everything going on. It's beautiful. And after that happens, just the trauma of this man realizing that there's blood on his hands for this thing that was going to happen no matter what and realizing he changed the course of history. Like that is the story. It's really impactful when you think of it that way. And then it just looks like a Nolan film that's great. A lot of Nolan's movies are dialogue heavy, but this is just dialogue up the wazoo. It's a bunch of people that you know sitting in rooms just talking about what nerds talk about. It's fantastic. And every single time, it's amazing how much this just feels like a big blockbuster where you're like, oh my goodness, there's the cameo showing up because countless times that I'm in the theater, I'm just like, no way. Is that Rami Malek? Alden Ehrenreich's in this? You're just like, Dane DeHaan? Where have you been, man? It's so great to see you. And then the one that I think got me the most, and I was just like, you got to be kidding me. They found a perfect use for Josh Hartnett, who is one of my favorite actors. And he just shows up in this and he's like six foot something, little glasses on. And is like the biggest, sexiest scientist in the world. And he's just kind of like a rival opposition to Killian's character. It's just so fascinating. And that's just everybody showing up in this movie. David Crummelt. Oh, man. I could barely recognize him. I was like blown away with what he was doing. That was crazy. And then Benny Safdie shows up for a bit. And then, oh, man, Gary Oldman. Like, what? Wow. That was a transformative performance that I didn't realize till the end of the movie. Crazy. And then you have the essentially the lead characters or the bigger names that we have to talk about. Of course, there's Emily Blunt, who is playing Kitty Oppenheimer. And she, I was a little bit mixed on her at the beginning. I'm like, oh, you're doing a lot of different types of accents to, to like nail that one. And it's not really perfect, but then it got perfect. And she won me over in the end. And I'm like, that is subtly the best performance of the movie. And Matt Damon, you want, you just want like a corn fed hunk of American beef. You get Matt Damon now because he just looks like a general that's going to like complain. And I love it. And he's working great. And I, I would, I would say the two leads are Robert Downey Jr as Strauss and, of course, Killian as Oppenheimer. What both of those guys are doing is so drastic and different that you just adore it. I, I'm, I've always been a fan of RDJ. He is an actor who was kind of trapped in a system for so long, and the moment he escaped it, you saw that he was trying to do certain things of his career, like Doolittle didn't work. He was supposed to be Perry Mason, but Matthew Reese was the better choice for that show. And now him coming to do like a Nolan project, it's like I'm giving myself over to a director again to let them tell me what to do. And that works so well for him because when he's not in control, it just helps him guide what he wants to do in this performance. It lets the ego drop a bit. It's kind of like how Margot Robbie is a producer on the stuff she works on and that works for her because she knows how to do that with her character because there's no ego. Downey can't do that. But this is the best he's been in years. It just shows you like he's capable and willing. The subtle face ticks, like the subtle intelligence of it all. Phenomenal. And Killian, a guy who is a, a friend of Nolan, just a classic actor. He also nails the accent, which is something I was very worried about. He nails like the act fictitious that comes from Robert's voice. He gets it well. 
and he has such a big face and we, we we are closing on that face for a lot of the movie and you just read behind the lines every time he's on screen like this is a man who is broken and afraid of every action he's ever taken and has nothing left to do and nothing to say and it's like half the movie is just like him sitting in a boardroom with people telling him all the faults he did is he a communist or not it's crazy I love a good Red Scare movie. I love a good movie of the war. All that stuff is cool. When you talk about it in such a mature setting, it's really cool and it's well done. And that's what this was. Like, it just worked and looked great. I am I mean, I've never connected with Nolan. I haven't. He's a guy I've struggled with, but this has been an insane, insane movie. Like, like the script is just intense and I can't even imagine how you would film this because it does cut to color and then black and white for certain characters, certain moments. There's just so much about like this that feels like it'd be hard to capture, but the editing makes it so seamless. And the score, my goodness, is that score immaculate and strong. I am obsessed with that score and the intensity of the quiet moments are so great. You've never, you're not going to get better sound design this year. I would hesitate to say it. Now, there are a couple of ways you can see this movie because Nolan is a freak. He likes to make his movies on different types of reel, different types of film, and different types of digital. I saw the standard IMAX release of like the larger like picture frame. I know nearby there is a showing on the 70 millimeter, and I'm very tempted to go check that out. I think I'm going to. And if I do, maybe I'll like do like a report back to talk about like the differences. But my God, like this is a great director who knows what he's doing. He's got the best performances out of his actors and his friends to make something truly incredible. The story itself needed to be told and is not pro-war or pro-bomb in any capacity. This is not, this isn't glorifying Oppenheimer in any way. The entire movie is just like, this guy was told he had to do this thing. If he didn't, he'd essentially be blacklisted from the industry, and he'd get, like, all of his credits revoked. And he did it, and he was upset that the fact that this happened and that we're still leading to higher things, like a hydrogen bomb is talked about a lot, too. And then the later years where he's still, like, being found out, like, do you support the Communist Party? Like, what were these actions you were doing? What side were you on? And that, like, there was a rivalry going on between another person I'm not going to talk about. And just, look, it's amazing that both of these movies, like Barbie and Oppenheimer, have two endings that are about, like, the idea of something being larger than, like, the person that it was. And if Barbie, it's like, yeah, the idea of Barbie is going to outlast, like, the little girl that was based on, Barbara Handler. And the idea is, like, the atom bomb and the H-bomb are going to outlast Oppenheimer. But eventually they're going to give you satisfaction and do it for themselves, which there is just, I don't want to spoil it, but like the last couple minutes of this movie are Oppenheimer and Einstein having a conversation about like, whatever happens next to you is going to be for them and not for you. And I'm like, that is insane. That is it. That is crazy. Amazing. It's amazing to me that these two movies are the best films of the year. They came out at the same time. They are completely different stories, but talk about the human experience of trauma and figuring out who you're supposed to be in different ways. Insane. So, Oppenheimer, I'm also going to give a 10 out of 10.
Now, thank you all for watching these reviews. Be sure to like and subscribe to the channel. As always, you can check me out on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. Or is it X now? Who's to say? I'll catch you all in the next one. Have fun. Stay safe. Good luck.